just barely got on. So Creighton, um, I don't know how much you know about us. Um, you know, we, we, we've been in the billing, you know, advocating for clients industry for quite a while, as we kind of talked about. And we decided to do the, the podcast just as a way to give back to the industry, right? A way to, to get, you know, cause we're kind of in the background, people don't see us and they, you know, we don't get out there. So we thought, how do we help improve it? How do we help change stigmas and, and help people recover? And so this is kind of our way to do it. So we're really having fun talking to people and getting connected. Cool. Love it. Did you listen to Megan's? I did. So you can tell we're kind of casual, right? Yeah. We're happy to let you steer as much as you want. Cool. Is there any topics that you really want to touch on? Um, no, not really. I don't have I don't have any expectations on how this is going to go, which is uh, unusual for me. So I'm just I'm open to to wherever this goes. That's awesome because that's kind of how we roll. <laughs> I'm just adjusting sound as we're talking here. So give me a couple more minutes. How long have you been at Deer Hollow? Uh, I started in December of 2019. Oh, nice. Yeah, and I was at Renaissance Ranch for a little bit before that, and then I worked in a, a different industry before that. So, nice. Yeah. Yeah, gotten to, been getting to know the Renaissance Ranch guys a little bit better. Yeah, I saw you I did golf that. with Brian. Yeah, I played golf with with him and a couple of other guys that are not there anymore, but probably they're probably that same crowd. You probably know them, like Christian Smith uh-huh. and um, John Red. Went and played golf with them the other day. Oh, so, yeah. are you a golfer? I'm not. <laughs> nah, that's. I won't hold that against you. I'm a pretty bad one, but it's fun to be outside, <laughs> right? Yeah, I mean, I should be. Every every man in my family golfs, and, and my grandpa ran a golf course in Southern California for a number of years, but never got into it. Nice. Where are you from? Are you from up here? Yeah, I'm from I'm from American Fork. Yeah. Nice. Okay. Nice. Okay, I think we got things fairly evened out. Oh no, I'm awful quiet. Maybe I just won't talk today. Kurt's all on you. Don't do it. Don't do it. all right um so creighton i'm just gonna read a little blog that you actually you know did yourself on linkedin as an intro if that works and um and then we'll just kind of introduce you and and then ask about a little background you know like how did you end up in this industry and and why do you stay and what do you love about it kind of a thing cool all right so we'll just kick this off Today, we are so excited to talk to Creighton Park. Creighton is an outpatient operations manager at Deer Hollow Recovery and Wellness Centers. Um, Creighton uses his life experience to help people through similar situations. Sobriety can be a tricky thing to navigate, and he hasn't done it perfectly. But he has been able to put some days together and and may in turn be able to help the next person attempting to find some hope in life. And I love that, Creighton, the way you just put it out there authentically, and and this is the way life is. Thanks. And thanks for being with us today. Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, I'm wondering maybe if you just start off giving a little background. You know, how did you you get into the substance abuse industry, and and maybe what brought you to Deer Hollow? Yeah. Let's see. I'll try to keep this short-winded. Um, 
So I went through a treatment center and um, in 2015 to 2016, and I always looked up to the house managers there, um, guys that had some time and, and uh, came from similar situations as me. Um, and so they required an X amount of time, you know, in sobriety to work there. And, and, you know, I was attending their alumni meetings that they had every week and talked to the house manager and he, you know, said, we've got an opening. And so I worked graveyards, um, over the weekend because I had another full-time job just to kind of see what it was like and, and see if I could potentially be that guy, um, that I looked up to while I was in treatment and, um, you know, fast forward a, a couple of more years, I had left the graveyard shift, um, thankfully. And, um, I was working in warehousing and I had a friend reach out to me who, uh, worked at the outpatient for that rehab center. Um, hadn't spoken to him for a while and it just kind of landed in my lap. And, and he said, your name came across our table and we would love we would love for you to come interview. And so, uh, yeah, July of 2019, um, I left my job of three and a half years in warehousing, um, and took the dive into, you know, the recovery field and loved it. Um, didn't feel like I was clocking in every day, you know, just kind of showing up and talking with, with some dudes and, and really just sharing my experience of, of how I've been able to string a few days together at that time. And um, <clears throat> it ended up uh, like November of 2019, they, uh, that treatment center closed their facility that I was working at. <laughs> so I had this moment and it was probably lasted about a week where I was just so mad that I had left my secure job that had the benefits and the good pay and um, was reliable. Like I, I wasn't afraid of losing my job, um, you know, to find myself unemployed and thank God that that happened uh, because it did lead me to Deer Hollow. Um, and I, so I started in Deer Hollow in December of 2019 and have loved every good and challenging minute of it. Um, I, I love just showing up and, and using my life experience as a part of my, my means to survive. I think it's a pretty unique opportunity that not many people, um, are afforded. Um, and creating that's, I think that's kind of, it's interesting how life kind of throws those balls at us, those curve balls that end up being better than we could have ever imagined although it's terrifying in the moment. So I love that you share that. <clears throat> um, so you're at Deer Hollow. You've been there for several years, and, and they've been growing pretty significantly. Can you talk a little bit about that growth? Yeah, so, um, so well, it's, it's funny. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to touch back on, on kind of those curveballs because I started in December, and then, you know, that following March, COVID hit, and found our, you know, Deer Hollow had to, had to suspend services for a little while. And I found myself unemployed again after four months <laughs> and, um, you know, was again, kind of reflecting back on that, that decision to leave the, the industry that I've been in for so long and, and actually got a job offer from them wanting me to come back and, 
you know, I sat with that for a minute and just thought like, this is, I don't want to do that. Like my heart is not in warehousing, you know, it's just, it, it was not the most enjoyable jobs. Um, and I love what I do now. And, and so fast forward through COVID and, and Deer Hollow trying to acclimate to the world, you know, in this, this new pandemic world that we've, that we've lived through. And, and so we started doing telehealth services, you know, and, and uh, you know, they brought us, brought us all back. And, and so to watch us grow from, you know, it's, it's a unique year to look back at is, is because we were our, our clientele, we had, we had a bigger population when I first started and then COVID and, and then it's kind of trickled back and we're trying to, uh, you know, navigate everything right now. And, and we're starting to see that, that occupancy level grow, um, you know, with, with our IOP and our PHP programs. And, and, um, you know, I know residential is, is, has no shortage, you know, they're, they're doing, they're doing good things up there. And, and I hope that our outpatient facility can, you know, be at least, you know, 1% of what residential has going, you know, we're, that would be a success in my book. And, and so to see the growth over this last year has been really unique. And I don't, I don't know that anybody's been through that, right. With this pandemic. So, um, it's been cool to see us ramp back up and start to grow and kind of change the way we do programming. Well, and, and you mentioned COVID. COVID's thrown a curveball at all of us, I think, you know, something we've never experienced before and had to figure out how to, how to adapt to it. Mm. Um, and, and I've seen a lot of facilities that have had COVID outbreaks and had to shut down or not quite know how to um, address the needs, of, you know, that, that the health department wanted. And so they've kind of stalled at a time when there was more of a need for substance abuse treatment than ever before. Mm. And so it's good to hear that we've kind of got our feet back under us and able to help those people. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm glad that, that we at least had our telehealth services available. I mean, in, in end of May of last year. So about a year ago, we started those and, and really were able to kind of help people remotely as best as we could, um, you know, and then start bringing them back in person and, and making sure that we're following all the guidelines and, you know, knock on wood, we, I don't think we've had an outbreak at either facility. And so that's speaks volumes to our executive director and, and how, <laughs> how worried she is with the germs and all that. And, and um, you know, it's really done wonders for us as, as a facility being able to stay open consistently and, and, you know, keep helping those people out there. Very cool. I'm, um, I'm wondering, as you talk about the curveballs that have come your way and, you know, being let go several times, that's enough to drive anyone back to their drug of choice. Hmm. Um, how do you, you know, in your own journey and maybe talk about that a little bit, what's your journey and, and what changed that allow you to maintain sobriety during those hard times? Yeah. So, uh, I mean, a quick rundown of, of my journey. Um, you know, I'm, I'm a native Utah. I was born and raised in, in Utah County, um, from a single parent home. Um, my parents divorced when I was three and a perk of working in dual diagnosis, um, facility where, 
you know, we have the substance abuse and trauma is um, I recognize now, which I didn't, you know, just a few years ago was that was a very traumatic experience for me. Um, you know, my first memory of my dad, and this is to no fault of him or my mom, but were, were them upstairs um, sitting across from each other and my mom is bawling and my dad is, you know, sitting there talking to her. And I, I'm curious if that was the conversation that they had, that that was the divorce or, you know, um, something to deal with that. But so growing up, it was just me and my older brother and my mom. Um, and she worked as a, as a school teacher for, she retired after 35 years, not too long ago. And she provided the best that she could for us. And, um, you know, as I got older, uh, I don't know that anybody ever said this to me, but my, I felt that my brother was always, you know, on a pedestal above me. And I was always trying to, um, you know, get to that level. I never felt like I fit in anywhere. Um, you know, going to church wasn't my thing, but you know, like the hard edged kids at school weren't my thing. And so I would just kind of float around and try to fit in where I could. Um, and then, you know, I had the opportunity to, to drink when I was 16, almost 17. Um, you know, and, and hear this a lot is, you know, the, the sun rose in my belly. Like i I felt, like I belonged in that moment um, for the first time in my life. And so I wanted that as much as possible. Um, still trying to hide it from my mom, right? And her religious views and kids in school because I didn't want them thinking, you know, anything bad about me. And so talking to my party friends on the weekends, don't, don't say this to anybody at school and trying to show face and keep, keep my reputation alive. And, um, you know, it started out just every other weekend and, and moved quickly to every weekend. And by the time I graduated high school, um, I was crushing pain pills in the bathroom on the back of my iPod. <laughs> they still had iPods back then. And, um, you know, that, that took me, I don't know how I graduated high school. I don't know how, you know, I kept things under wrap for so long now looking back at it. But um, that summer after I graduated, I, uh, I, I was siphoning money from my mom's bank account. And that lasted three months. And I was stealing the bank statements out of the mail so that she wouldn't find them. And um, up until that point, she had a lot of trust in me. So she would leave her purse out and it wasn't a big deal. And so I would swipe her card and uh, it finally caught up to me and I lied about it. I, you know, I said I spent it on food and lagoon, right? And I'm still trying to hold on to that, that control. And I got kicked out, um, was living with my cousin and his older brother and their wife and their dad. So there was five of us in a two bedroom apartment. I'm sleeping on the floor, um, miserable, but not willing to stop. And so I get a phone call from my mom and she says, you know, you have an ultimatum, I'm gonna press charges or you're gonna go to treatment. And as an 18 year old, it's like, well, obviously I don't want a record, so let's go to treatment. Uh, I ended up at, by choice, uh, Odyssey house. And I don't know why I chose Odyssey house. Um, because back then it was like a two year program, average graduation time. 
So yeah, I ended up there. And <clears throat> one thing that I know different from them, from Odyssey House when I was there and, and from the treatment experience I had in 2015 was, I don't know that I was given a solution for when I got out of treatment. Um, I was fast tracked through Odyssey House. I, I completed them that program in nine months and went back home to the same house, uh, the same friends, the same job, and within a few weeks was was getting loaded again. Uh, and and that went from Percocets to Oxycontin and, and very quickly moved into heroin and um, thought that I could find different ways to solve my problem. Um, so I got married. Hey, she'll fix it, right? If I get married, she's going to make everything right. Um, that was not the case. I was withdrawing on, on my honeymoon. Um, you know, was, was in St. George and convinced her like, well, Vegas, I have a better chance in Vegas. We drove to Vegas and, you know, long story short, was just so sick that we came home early and tried the ge geographical change. Like, hey, if I move, um, I'll get better. And so we moved and I wasn't doing heroin every day, but I was drinking eight days a week. Um, so finally, I get back and I get a bunch of legal trouble. Um, in the year of 2015, I got divorced. Um, and of that year, 11 months were spent in jail or, or in a treatment center. Um, and, and so that, that led me to treatment, um, July 26th of 2015, I got arrested and, uh, wasn't anything new to me. I'd been in jail before. And for some reason I had this little moment of clarity thinking somebody somewhere knows something that I don't, um, I, I don't want to do this anymore, but I don't know how to stop. So I called my mom uh, and she actually had a restraining order against me at the time, called her from jail, right? Um, hadn't spoken to her for a couple of years and I don't know why she answered the phone, but she answered the phone and she took my call. And in, in some way or another, uh, I asked her for some help. And, uh, you know, over that I was, so I sentenced to another four months so over those four months, she went to bat for me and tried to try to get me insurance and try to find me, you know, a treatment center. Uh, but actually it was July 23rd that I got arrested. July 26th is my sobriety date. So that'll tell you that I'm completely powerless over any substance if it's available. Um, so the last time that I used, I used in a county jail. Um, with a guy I'd never met and, um, didn't see him for the rest of my stay in jail. So I got out of jail and I went straight to a treatment center and guess who's sitting in the front room of that treatment center? The guy I got loaded with for the last time. Um, crazy thing about it is he's still sober today and he's one of my best friends. Um, we've got a little group of us that we talk every day. We send texts to each other and, and, uh, Every year we go back to the trees, pick up our chip and we share that story and we, you know, get it, get all the guys that are in house to laugh and try to relate to them. But so I end up at that treatment center and, uh, they introduced me to the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, and 
I don't know that there's much about that treatment center today that keeps me sober. Uh, but what keeps me sober today are the 12 steps um, of Alcoholics Anonymous, which is, you know, the program that I'm engaged in. And so to round it back to your initial question, like what is it that allows me to, to navigate some of those tough situations? 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous um, have, have given me a solution to my problem today. And I recognize that I'm the problem, the way that I think, the way that I interact with life. Like that's the problem when I'm not engaged in my own recovery. So I've got to do that every day, you know? Well, I think, um, I think the story you share, share, which is really interesting is not, I mean, it's not incredibly unique. I mean, so, you hear so many talk about this trauma of divorce and, and how that changes their, you know, their perspective and how they feel about themselves and they don't quite fit in. And, and it's an interesting that we hear this story over and over again, um, but it becomes still really difficult to go back and identify those people that are feeling that in high school and trying to, you know, intercept there. So, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, I guess telling the story over and over again may give us, you know, get us to a better place. We talked to a guy here not too long ago that, that that's what he does. He goes in and he tells his stories in high school and he tries to help them understand that there's help and there's places that they can go to get that help. And I think that's powerful. Um, you said something that I thought was, um, a little bit interesting. The sun rose in my belly, Hmm. that first drink that you took. And the question that I asked myself is that's a pretty euphoric feeling do you replace that now or how do you, you know, how do you think about that kind of feeling now? Um, I think that feeling for me now is further and farther between. Um, and I'm okay with that because I think I enjoy it more. Um, you know, when, when I'm drinking or when I'm drugging, I'm chasing that euphoric feeling and I'm never getting to where I think it is. Um, today, I think rather than those, those high mountaintops and those low valleys of my emotions and life, it's more just kind of rounded hills. Um, with, you know, the, the sprinkle of, uh, you know, euphoric uh, feeling was like watching my four-year-old boy graduate preschool, right? Like as silly as that sounds, like I got to show up for him and, and watch him get his little, diploma bag and like sing the songs and you know his teachers reading what he loves about preschool and and was able to be there sober and present um was able to share space with his mother who is married and has you know her own family and and hasn't always been a great relationship and i was able to to be there and and not worry about any of the shit right just just be there and recognize that and so I think that they are further and farther between, but I don't know that that's a bad thing for myself. Well, and it replaces that because what a proud moment to be sober and to be able to really take um, take in that whole experience, you know, and of your son and, and all that was happening there. That's a cool thing, right? That's, that's deep. You feel that deeply. So I love that you can replace that, you know, synthetic feeling with something mm. even better. Yeah. yeah, it's it's certainly more healthy, like you said, right? But the other thing is that the studies are showing that now, like some of the, the dopamine and some of that type of um, 
transaction in your body, however that works, is almost as strong when you're looking back at that memory, mm. right? So it's not only is it a natural high, but it's a sustainable one, right? Like that's a building block now for life that you get to kind of hang on to and cherish with, you know, your son moving forward as opposed to the previous, you know, unrealistic overdose high that is fleeting, comes and goes and is gone, right? Which is super cool. One of the other things that you mentioned was that when you went into treatment, you really looked up to that house manager. What, Mm -hmm. What were the things about them, you know, that stuck out to you and why was that attractive? Yeah. So I think, you know, it was, it was an all male facility and, and these, these house managers would run some of our therapeutic community groups at night and, um, would be in the office and we could go in and talk to them. And, um, I actually knew one of the house managers from high school. Um, I knew his little sister and I knew a little bit about him and, and, he drove me one day, I was, I was maybe he'd been there two weeks and he drove me to see my probation officer in American Fork and just talking to him on that car ride and listening to him share his experience of jails and institutions and homelessness to see him now like showing up for a job, right? And like being consistent and uh, sober you know like those were all things that i just couldn't conceive so the physical sobriety was like yeah i want that i don't know if i can get that but the mannerisms the way that they carried themselves their characteristics their traits you know kind of like those outward morals that i felt from them was like yeah i really like that like that's attractive to me but i don't know if i'm capable of doing that you know so I just, I just faked it, right? Like treatment was easy for me. (laughs) I'd been institutionalized the whole year. So it was like, I can follow rules and not get kicked out. Like I cannot smoke cigarettes when we go on rec rec therapy. And I cannot like do these things so that I can stay here because my alternative was the park, like sleeping on the bench. But that took hold in me. And I don't know if it was by the time I got out of treatment, um, but very soon after it was, was like, this is, this is achievable. I can have what all of these guys have said they have. Um, and, and the common variable there was they were working 12 steps. And so I started to, to work the 12 steps. Which you don't do 12 steps at a time. That's right. <laughs> right. You know, it's a, it's one step at a time. And that first one is one that, you know, you got to fight your way through and then not till you through that one, then start to digest the second one. Right. So it's that's, kind of yeah, like you said, it's, it's, that's, it's cool that you had um, him as a kind of a mentor and, and someone to look up to, but it's kind of just the way everything is in life, right. Whether it's sobriety or your career or being a parent or whatever, kind of just show up and make an attempt at it. That's the first, that's the first step. Right. And that's the more, the more you're not good at it, eventually you kind of just find your rhythm and yeah, that's good. That's funny. My, my sponsor, um, I have, I have this playlist, if you will, an internal playlist, um, that just replays in my mind every single day of one liners that he's told me. Um, and he's always telling me, 
suit up and show up. That's all you have to do. Um, and, and that one liner, as much as I hate it sometimes, has saved my ass so many days. You know, there's many days where I don't want to pick up the phone when, when a sponsee calls, or there's plenty of days when I don't want to go to a meeting um, or meet with my sponsor. And then I hear that and damn it, you know, I got to show up. I got to go. So it's funny how my mind works. Like I want, I want all of the results that this program, that, that the program I'm involved in ha has to offer. But a lot of the times I don't know if I want to do all of the work. <laughs> <You know? laughs> I kind of want to skirt around and take the easier way and maybe clip a corner and, and, and then say, okay, give me all of these good results. But that's not how it works. I've come to find out. <laughs> Well, and it's not an easy journey either. It's a tough journey to be on. And, and I think about other people that I've seen go through the 12 steps and they'll they'll bomb through it and just go, yeah, I done, did it, you know, in a couple of months. And it's like, yeah, you didn't do it. <laughs> do it again. And I don't know if that's, if that's your journey or not, and if you had to do it three or four or five times or how that looks. So, yeah, I think, so I had two experiences prior to treatment with 12 step meetings and both times I showed up loaded. <laughs> um, so I was just at a point where I was kind of willing to just go with the suggestions when I got to treatment. I don't know that I got to treatment like wanting long-term sobriety. Um, I almost wanted to like partake in heroin, like a gentleman, if you will, like, do it if I could and not burn and, and cause the chaos that I was doing. But, you know, I had a therapist tell me when I was, when I was in treatment, you know, stack the deck in your favor, you know, is, is aftercare going to keep you sober? No. Um, is, is, uh, AA going to keep you sober? Maybe is, is engaging with the fellowship going to keep you sober? Maybe is, is the 12 step, you know, all these different things. So, I'm trying to stack it in my favor so that I have some success. And one of those su suggestions was finding a sponsor and I found a sponsor and, and we did, we burned through the steps. We met every single week. Um, and he gave, we got to the fourth step and he said, you have two weeks to finish this. And if you're not ready in two weeks, find somebody else. And, and that's what I needed was like, let's get in it. Let's find the solution and let's, and let's keep moving. And so you know, fast forward to, to, uh, I think July. So a full year, um, I had been sober and I was all the way, I was through the 12 steps and I'd been out of treatment for six months. Um, <clears throat> I picked up my year chip. I was on vacation in California. Um, picked up my year chip, you know, at a meeting, um, on the beach in Dana point at sunset. And it was kind of this, another kind of one of those euphoric feelings of, okay, like this is, this is a possible solution for me. <clears throat> that sponsor at the time had kind of drifted away from the program, um, but I was still in touch with him and thought to myself, he's a good dude, right? And he's still sober, but he's not doing what I'm doing. Um, and so I knew who his sponsor was and I'd been in many meetings where I'd heard him speak and share. And it was another one of those. There's something about him that I want. 
And uh, I asked him and I've had him, I've had him for four and a half years and, and we've gone through the steps, I think three times. So a long winded answer. I, I uh, feels like every year or so I've got to get back in it. I got to get back into the book and, and, you know, really engage and, and do a thorough one first step, second step, third step, fourth, so on until the end, you know. What does re- needing to redo those look like for you? Is that a relapse? Is that just a, okay, I'm, I'm feeling a little hollow. This is a way to kind of steroid up a little bit on. Yeah, I think I want to beef up, right? Like uh, it's something that I've learned <clears throat> in, in my recovery is if I'm not continually growing, um, that stagnant, feeling is pretty toxic for me. Um, I want to continue to learn more about me. I want to continue to grow, you know, my program and and my spiritual connection with, with this higher power that's talked about. And, um, so no, it's not a relapse, but it's, it's, I kind of just get an itch. Um, and that itch has thus far forced me back into the book. Um, where I get to identify some of those character defects and I get to work on some new ones that I didn't know had popped up, um, you know, and I get to re-engage this relationship with my higher power and explore different ways on how to connect, you know, to, to that and through what avenues and, and, uh, you know, eventually bringing me to the 12th step of, Hey, get your ass in gear and start giving back. That's powerful. And it's, it's, um, I don't think, I think the moral of the story is there's not a wrong way to do the 12 steps, but that you've got to keep doing them, right? Mm. You've got to keep um, adhering to those principles. You talked about men in your life. It sounded like most of them were men that were these models that you said, uh, you know, I want what that guy has. And I think you used the word morals. Mm -hmm. What, what does that look like and how has that transformed in your life? Yeah, so um, I have many men in my life today who are involved in sobriety who I look up to, um, who exemplify characteristics or traits um, that I want. And so I stick with them, right? in treatment, it was stick with the winners and and I still try to do that. Um, but when I came to treatment, I didn't have any standards. I had no values or morals. Um, you know, I was just doing anything to, to service myself. And so to see guys who had the same story as me, who had been through similar experiences, um, who had felt like me, excuse me, at many, at many different points in my life, again, showing up to work, right. And being honest and, um, showing up when they say they're going to show up and, and have some compassion and empathy, you know, um, that's stuff that I wanted. And, and I think by surrounding myself with those guys and engaging in this program, those are the most valuable things that I have today. Um, you know, you talk about <clears throat> what sobriety and my program has given me. It's like, yeah, it's given me, you know, I, first three years of my sobriety, I didn't have a license. Um, I'd gotten three DUIs in three months. 
And so the state said, yeah, it's probably not safe for you to drive. So let's take that license from you. You know, so sobriety has given me that license and it's given me the car in the garage that has my license plates on it and it's registered to me. And, you know, it's given me the opportunity to have gainful employment, um, to earn money. But the important thing to me that I don't want to lose are, are the internal things of, you know, compassion and empathy and, and um, reliability and honesty and integrity. Like those are the things that I cherish mo- most. Because when I when I start to lose those, it's very easy for me to slip back into guilt and shame and self-pity. And I know where that stuff leads me. Um, I'm an effect-driven person. So I like the effects produced by X, Y, and Z. Uh, and so this program has given me the effect that I like. Hmm. That's uh, very cool. And I love, I love hearing that. I mean, you can almost see your journey from, you know, no morals, no values, no standards to there might be something better out there. And, and I want to be somebody different than I am. And then that hope. And then I heard you talk about a few pivotal moments in your life where someone influenced you and you, you know, got you to think twice about who you wanted to be and where you were going. So I think that's a common, that's a common thing. So I love to hear you share that. Um, as you were talking, you, you know, you talked about your last high, which was in jail. And I'm, I'm curious as a mother, I think I've heard plenty of mothers say, if my, if my child's in jail, at least I know they're safe. Hmm. And now I'm concerned that perhaps they may not be safe. How prevalent is drugs in jail? Um, it depends. <laughs> I've spent, uh, some time in a few different county jails and extended amounts of time, I'll say. And, and those extended amounts of time, um, it's not like it's everywhere, but you're, you can find it if you want to find it. And obviously you can, it, there's medications that can be abused that are prescribed while you're in jail that produce, you know, a mind altering effect. Um, so I wouldn't say it's not like a, it's not like a, a, black market kind of deal going on, but it's there, you know, and, and if you want it, you find it, you know, if, if that's what you're searching for, you're going to find some way to make it happen. And, uh, that it's just very telling to me that without a solution, even in a lockdown facility, I'm going to go to any length to change how I feel. And, and I did, even after that phone call of, I don't want to do this anymore. You know, it's like, I didn't even have a choice. It was just autopilot found out that there was some there and Hey, I need some of that. I, um, (laughs) I think it's interesting what you've talked about, because if you, you know, it's that drive, that, that thing that's the most important and prevalent in your mind. And that's the thing you're going to go after. And if you want it bad enough, you're going to get it. And it's interesting that that can have a shadow side just as much as it can have a a gold side or a positive Mm -hmm. side to it. And so it, it seems as though you've taken that drive and you've turned it into creating something that you really do want. And it's been a lot of work, but you've been able to create that life that is um, full of 
values, full of morals, and that you can be one of those models just like that changed your life. Hmm. <clears throat> Excuse me. Yeah, I hope so. <laughs> it still feels like big, big shoes to fill. Right. But, you know, I, I hope <clears throat> my hope is, you know, working in the field, <clears throat> excuse me, and, uh, you know, being active in, in recovery is if I can just help one person along the way, then it'll be worth it. Um, you know, and I think a funny perspective that I've had is the people closest to me benefit more from me being sober and engaged in my own recovery than I do. Mm. Cause they're the first ones to feel the brunt of the chaos if I slip up. Right. And, and so that's also like a factor, you know, my son had him in sobriety. Um, he's never seen me loaded, you know, and he's never, he's never seen me drink and, and, um, you know, a day at a time, I hope he doesn't have to. That's a powerful motivator. Yeah. So Creighton, what, uh, what's in your future? What are your plans? Oh, well, I am a full-time student right now. Um, hopefully going for my master's in social work. Um, I just started college last August, so I'm fresh in. <laughs> um, and so actually summer semester starts in 10 days or so, and, and I'm trying to burn through my associates so that I can take maybe a semester off and enjoy a little bit. But um, yeah, I think school, um, doing school, and then, you know, I, I hope to to continue working in the field and, and continue to stay sober and, and show up for those around me, um, you know, one day at a time. I do, I, I like to plan, I'm a planner for the future, but also like don't like to over identify with that stuff because then I start copping resentments at everyone around me and God and this and that. And, and so right now I'm enjoying the break from school. Um, enjoying this this job and 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 working at deer hollow and and spending time with my son and and uh you know trying to just show up in life you know i want to i want to put back into the stream of life rather than take from it like like i did for so long so continue to grow continue to learn um and and however that happens for me um i'm open to it <laughs> That's pretty exciting. That's a great track to, you know, become a social worker and, and be able to help on a different level. Right. Um, and be, you know, just have those skills and that training to, to look underneath. But I think what you're doing right here and right now is enough, right? That you're, you're, you're being that model for others now. And that's pretty incredible. I, I honor you for that. Thank you. Lots of one-liners. I've got like 10 from you already today. So I've turned into my sponsor. Damn it. Those are going into, those are going into the bio. Well, I think it's what your goal was. So mm. you it had was. what you wanted, right? Yeah. So that's a, that's a good thing. Yeah. <laughs> that's so awesome. Creighton, thanks for being with us today. It's been a pleasure. I've loved hearing your story and uh, I, you know, it'd be fun to connect here in another year or so and see where you're at. Yeah, that would be great. I appreciate you guys doing what you're doing and and uh, having me on and, and allowing me to kind of 
ramble for the last 45 minutes. <laughs> it's not rambling. Like, you know, everybody, everybody needs to hear a story because it's not only is treatment different for everybody, but the, the stories that connect with people are different for every person and, and everybody's got a process. So for sure. Well, and you never know when that one person is going to listen and go, Oh, that's just like my story. I can relate to this guy so much. I got to talk to Creighton. And if somebody mm. wants to talk to Creighton, how do they get a hold of you? Um, I'm not on social media, so that makes it a little hard. Um, if I don't, you can email me, you can find me on LinkedIn. I'm on LinkedIn. I know that's kind of lame, but, um, LinkedIn, find me on LinkedIn. I'm there. Send me a message. I think that's probably the best route. Perfect. I think that, it, I think that is social media. Yeah. Is it? I, <laughs> I don't scroll it like I used to with Instagram and Facebook and TikTok. So, <laughs> yeah, like like uh, like you, I'm the same. I'm the same way. I keep myself pretty limited to that platform because uh, yeah. some of those other ones are a bit of a black hole. But that's uh, it's the safer version a little bit. That's right, a little more professional. I, that's how I'll justify it. <laughs> but link, LinkedIn's a good spot. That's plenty accessible. So yeah, find me there if you want. If anybody is interested, uh, yeah, that's where I'm at. Fantastic. Okay. Thank you thanks, so Creighton. much, Creighton. All right. Thanks, guys. We'll see you. Thanks, you.